Hi, this is Gina Pangalangan. And I'm Jordan McMahon. This is Education Outside the Lines, a podcast where we are having very real conversations on education and parenting with Gina, a mom and educator with a unique philosophy. Hi, Gina. So we are back with Education Outside the Lines. Today we're going to be talking about the multiple intelligences theory. And this was developed by a scientist named Howard Gardner. That guy, he's really fascinating. Google him, YouTube him. He has a lot of great things to say. But we want to hear what you have to say today, Gina, about this theory and why it's been so important to you. So tell us about the multiple intelligences theory and how you first stumbled upon it. Okay, well, if you Google Howard, you'll see that he is older, an older mm-hmm. gentleman. So. Um, it's been his theory's been around for a long time in education, mm-hmm. but the way I stumbled on it was early in my career. I was teaching special education at the time, and I went to a conference. And when you're in the field of special education, you're always trying to figure out how your students learn and the best way to teach them. And the best way to teach them is usually not in a traditional approach because. Mm-hmm. For some reason, that traditional approach isn't working for them, and that's Mm -hmm. how they become identified as having some special needs. Mm -hmm. Now, the special needs um, spectrum is wide. It can be kids with learning disabilities that that have been evaluated to have a high IQ, Mm -hmm. but for some reason they're not achieving up to their intelligence or their potential. Um, And those were the kids that I was working with at the time. Mm -hmm. So to think, how are these kids deemed as smart on an IQ test? But I say the classroom teacher is not able to teach the way that they learn best. So what do I need to do as a special ed teacher to meet their needs? Mm -hmm. So I was on a search. I tried to go to as much professional development as, as I could. So I stumbled upon somebody that was talking about Gardner's theories. And this was probably early 90s. And um, the the gentleman was talking, and it just really resonated to me. He was saying, if there are eight different types of intelligences, mm-hmm. our traditional classrooms are, te- are taught to teach to mainly two, mm-hmm. and that's the language learners and the mathematical learners, so the linguistic and logical mm-hmm. kids. And um, it doesn't mean that those kids that are that are learning that way are the smartest or most intelligent in the class. It's just that there are other kids that learn in different ways better. Mm-hmm. The theory is that we all have these intelligences, but some of ours are stronger than others. Mm-hmm. So the, the top 20% in an academic setting of kids that do the best, it's because the teachers are teaching in the way that they learn the best. So they're, mm-hmm. they're gathering all that data and information easily which gives them more time to learn other things, so they look like the, the most intelligent kids there. But what really occurred to me is thinking of all the people in the world that do great things that say they didn't learn well or do well in a traditional class. Mm-hmm. And I think they're pretty smart. you know. So, so it started this idea that smarts is shown in all different ways. If we as classroom teachers can teach in a lot of different ways, we might meet somebody's needs better and quicker. Mm -hmm. It might be easier for them. We can get more content covered, Mm -hmm. and they'll be more likely to retain it in their long-term memory. A goal of a teacher is always to help hope the students retain. So if we present it in a way that's easy for them to understand, they're going to learn more, and they're going to learn quicker and faster. They're going to be able to apply it. Mm -hmm. Life is going to be good. Right. Can you tell us what each of the different intelligences are and describe those? Sure, a sure. Bit? I mentioned before the 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 traditional class teaches the um, mathematical logical brain. 
Um, those are those kids that do well in math, obviously. There's a lot of math in traditional schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the verbal linguistics, those kids that do well through language, those kids that can read a chapter and answer all the comprehension questions without mm-hmm. even a teacher, you know, lecturing about it mm-hmm. um, because language comes so easily to them. There also is a visual spatial. Mm-hmm. Um, so people that are really good, like an architect with uh, spatial tasks. There's... Building blocks and puzzles and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, body kinesthetics, this is probably what you were. Well, I think I can see that you have lots of strengths. So. Oh. Um, but you're a professional dancer, so, mm-hmm. you know, professional athletes, body kinesthetic is their thing. Um, you, you do see so many talented people in this world that are that have that body kinesthetic learning. If they could be learning content, uh, social studies and science content, why they're dancing or why they're moving, mm-hmm. well, the better for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the musical learner, we know how well people learn through music. In all of our classrooms, teachers have musical songs that go along with the explorers to the multiplication tables. So mm-hmm. anytime we can put music on that we're going to meet the needs of certain kids, that mm-hmm. um, are, that's really going to tap into their, their learning style. Um, interpersonal and intrapersonal. Some people learn best through being around people and they can read people well. Those are your leaders that are going to be leading teams and really motivating people. Um, I think those people are pretty, pretty special out there and we all need them. And then intrapersonal, the people that are learning through being introspective. The people that, that do enjoy being alone because they're studying things or they're learning about themselves and just um, taking that information and applying it in, in other ways. And then the naturalists, the people that learn through nature and anything living. So, mm-hmm. you know, those biologists or arborists, mm-hmm. people that learn learn through nature, I think they're... they care a lot about the environment. Yes, right. Which is Which is really life. impactful right now yeah. in, in our society, right? Yes. Those are the people that are going to get those jobs in, in the mm-hmm. environmental sciences. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Gardner is talking about the existential um, person, too. So... Mm-hmm. Um, those are the different multiple intelligences, and I just challenge all teachers to try to find ways to teach content in many different ways to hit them all. Mm-hmm. If we can show kids their intelligence level or what their highest level is, then they can go out and, and study those content standards on their own through the way that they mm-hmm. learn best if, if the traditional classroom isn't meeting their needs. Mm-hmm. But, um, Jordan, we're also living in this great uh, time where we know that mindset is so powerful, like positive thinking. And I think if all kids could know that they're smart in their own way mm-hmm. and not be made to feel inadequate because school is hard for them or they're not getting it when their teacher explains it, then they're just going to be so much better off. Understand they can go through 12 years of schooling and feel Mm -hmm. smart instead of 12 years of schooling and feel inadequate or Mm -hmm. less than, Mm -hmm. unless they're those logical and linguistical students that are -hmm. are going to learn pretty quickly in traditional school. But hopefully those kids get out in society too when, when they're not in school because they're not always going to be taking tests um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, build on their other intelligent levels mm-hmm. too if, they, if they've only been taught the one or two ways. Yeah. How do you, I feel like a question that would come up um, when describing this to somebody who'd never heard about it before would be how in a six-hour day do you meet all the needs of all the different types of learners that could possibly be in the classroom? Well, it it is not as easy as saying, okay, everybody read this textbook, chapter Mm -hmm. five, and 
you know, won't go over the questions when you're done. Mm -hmm. It requires teachers to be pretty creative in their teaching, but it's so much more enjoyable. If you can teach about the Mayflower and go out to the playground and and draw how big the Mayflower would be and have everybody step inside that Mm -hmm. space and and really feel it, um, those spatial kids would Mm -hmm. get a lot out of it. Those kinesthetic kids would get a lot out of it. Um, So I think that just teachers thinking creatively about your lesson. How can I hit on a lot of different things? Mm -hmm. Sometimes there are some things we're just going to read to the kids, but be mindful. Somebody out there maybe has some dyslexia or maybe, you know, needs to hear it auditorily. So uh, just if you do have to teach something in a traditional way, just kind of make sure you know your audience well. Just kind of thinking of all the different creative ways that they could explore that concept through or that theme or whatever. And I say that around here a lot. I was talking to a couple teachers yesterday for an end of the year project and um, one of the teachers was talking about uh, City of Embers, the book. Mm -hmm. So they're reading a book, you know, so any of those kids with those language, you know, the, the linguistic learning style or strength is probably has their head planted in that and is loving every minute of it and loving writing about it and answering questions. But she also took them to the Ohio Caverns. And then they studied, you know, what it would be like if we had to have an underground society and what it would be like not to have electricity. And they had a couple days where they turned all the lights off and had to think about what they were going to do without electricity. And so I'm thinking for, for all of those kids that are into nature or getting their bodies moving and touring something or thinking about you know, just the scientific and spatial aspects of not being able to see and, and sort of how things are made. And I, I thought, oh, this is hitting on a lot of those different, you know, those different areas, those different strengths and skills. Mm-hmm. And it, it really is as simple as thinking of a book and then thinking of a place to go that could help the kids understand that, you know, to help them kind of step into that idea a little bit. Right. Um, and then out of that, there there are so many different ways that that just opens kids up to learning. So even just one other way of thinking about how we could do something with this theme or this concept mm-hmm. could hit on many different intelligences. But if you just stick to reading a book, writing about it, you know, or lecturing about it, then you're really only getting one intelligence. You're only really hitting, you know, one type of way of learning. Right. And so I, I think in some ways it's not as hard as it may seem to maybe hit on a lot of different intelligences. It may just be one other way of creatively thinking about, you know, this concept. The only reason it's hard is because it's not what we're used to. It's non-traditional. So, you know, teachers, when they go to do their lesson planning, it might be, it might look different than they were used to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's just all that pressure. We talked about this on a podcast a little while back, just all the pressure on the test Mm-hmm. And teaching to the test, we want to evaluate kids in a lot of different ways. Let them explore, um, or let them assess, be assessed in different ways. Show us what you know in the mm-hmm. way that you can best. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we still have to be mindful that they will have to take a standardized test too. So mm-hmm. they have to have that practice as well. Yeah, they do. But that when you were talking about the caverns, it was making me think. What we do here is we try to integrate the content standards. So Mm -hmm. we don't want to just designate math time, language arts time, social Mm -hmm. studies and science. We try to integrate those. It's kind of real world, you know, not Mm -hmm. when we get out of school, we won't be taught in little subjects. We'll learn about life and lots of enjoyable, not just for the students, but for the teachers too. Mm -hmm. Students light up and feel like, oh, they're really learning this. They're really retaining this. They're excited about their day. They're happy. They're talking about it. They're 
they love what I'm doing with them. They, you know, and then in turn are caring about me because I seem to be caring about them. I'm putting them somewhere that's fun and creative and um, giving them a cool experience, you know. And I, I think that's just what a wonderful way to spend your day. Mm-hmm. You know, what a purposeful way to spend your day. As opposed to almost feeling like a level of insanity, thinking, I have to teach this thing. I know it's not going to work, but I have to teach it. You know, and there's a certain level of like, if you know it doesn't work, it's got to be one of those things that just must be infuriating to keep having to do. Mm-hmm. What's, what's, what's Einstein say, the definition of insanity? Right, right. Something yeah. over and over, expecting different results. Yeah. Um, when I was a special education teacher, I would spend a lot of time talking with regular ed teachers about mm-hmm. the students that we shared. And a lot of regular ed teachers were frustrated with kids. They're just not getting it. I can't figure out why they're not getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, or I have to move on because, you know, the curriculum says we're on to the next thing and half my class doesn't even understand this concept. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really a teacher problem. It's not a kid problem. Right. So if teachers taught in different ways, they might see mm-hmm. that kids can get that information accomplished mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. So teachers really need to look at why aren't the kids getting it and what can I do to see that they do? Mm-hmm. Who's not getting it? What do I know about that child? What do I see them doing on the playground? What do I see them doing in their free choice time? Those mm-hmm. might be the ways that they learn best. Those might be their multiple intelligences. And so if I can teach to that way, come in the back door instead of the front door, they might have more success. And then I get right. to accomplish my goals of making sure everybody received the curriculum and understands mm-hmm. it. I think a really trending idea right now is that curiosity is really the key to life in many ways. Staying curious about the person that's across from you, even if it's an an enemy. Staying curious about your job. Staying curious about your spouse. Staying curious about your own kids. You know, just staying curious and interested. Because when you stay interested, then you, in turn, show a level of care. And I want to keep learning about you. I want to know you better, you know. And... I, I think that's really what everybody on the other side wants. I want, you know, people want to be known and they want to be heard and they want to know that they're valued. And when somebody's curious about them, you feel, when somebody's curious about you, you feel valued, you know. And so I, I think for, uh, that's especially true for anybody that works with kids, you know, to, to treat them with a level of curiosity. Like, I, I want to learn about you as a person, what makes you tick, you know. And, and, and again, six hours in a day doesn't seem like a lot, but that is a lot of time in a child's day to not feel valued or known, you know? And so it is really important that I think we as adults, whether you're a parent or a teacher or just a kid, in, a person in that child's life, stay curious about who they are. Mm-hmm. They're going to definitely feel a sense of value just within that space. Mm-hmm. So... And maybe the classroom teacher's um, thinking, well, I don't have the time to do that. I don't have the time to get to know all my students. But if you could put in the time up front at the beginning of the year, do as much as you can to get to know the students, Mm -hmm. then think about their multiple intelligences, and then make your plan how much more they're going to learn, which is your ultimate goal in the end anyway, rather than trying to do things that are just very Mm -hmm. difficult for them that you're... You know, you're going to spend your wheels trying to t- trying to think of other mm-hmm. things. Just it leads to more frustration and stress if you're not getting to know them and getting to know how they tick. And I think it it's working smarter, not harder. You know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. It, it's real. It really is that approach. Mm-hmm. I think. And, and in the beginning of the year, it may seem like, oh, we're not, you know, drilling these facts, or they're they're maybe they're not advanced as as the next third grade class or whatever. But 
but in the long in the long run, it's going to pay off. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, years down the road, <laughs> when that child is thirty years old and still remembers you when you run into them or whatever, and says you made me feel valued. Okay, well that that was significant, and you know you'll never really understand the impact that that might have had on that child, their psyche and their heart and their spirit, and that's so important. So, mm-hmm. and um, thinking about the idea of the MI multiple intelligences, um, letting kids know that we as teachers see intelligence it can be in a lot of different ways, right. and you are smart. I see that you're smart. I see you're smart because of how well you can can make your friends um, right. play the game you want to play mm-hmm. on the playground. Like, you have really good people skills. And mm-hmm. tell them those things. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you're a traditional teacher and you're teaching in a traditional school and you can't do all these things, then at least you can make them feel and know that you see their smarts right. and their smarts in other ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just pointing things out that are significant. Because it's significant to a child. They just... Um, they might not grow up believing that unless another adult recognizes mm-hmm. that pretty early on. Especially teacher. Tell yeah, them. especially yeah. teacher. Yeah. We so, talked a lot about the teachers, but I was thinking about the parents. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about parents whose um, children are in a traditional classroom, and they're not, the, the logical and linguistic are not their strong suits. Mm-hmm. Because I have a lot of parents that say, my child's just not doing well in school, but I know they're smart. And we all feel that way. We do. We see our child talk about things or doing things outside that are really smart. Or mm-hmm. when they pack the car for something, they're very you know systematic about Like they have these intelligences mm-hmm. that aren't showing on the grade card. But um, what I would ask those parents to try to do is when they know what the teacher's teaching about... Um, whether it's you know through a newsletter or blog that the teacher might write or, or take that information and try to teach their kids in the way that they, they learn best. Mm-hmm. Um, try to integrate at home what the kids are doing at school. Mm-hmm. Show them a movie about the topic that they're learning in social mm-hmm. studies if we th- feel like they, they will learn through that. Mm-hmm. Have some discussions if they're the interpersonal learner and have some discussions with them about what they're learning. Mm-hmm. That will make a big difference too, not just saying go read right. your assignment. Maybe if you read it a little bit more or you read it again, mm-hmm. you'll understand it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they need mm-hmm. to do something different. Mm-hmm. So pe- mm-hmm. parents can help their kids that are in traditional schools that needs aren't being met during the school day after right, school. Right. And just because your child's intelligence center or strengths, skill sets are different than yours doesn't mean that it's less. Oh, right? yes. I think as parents, sometimes we see like, you're not doing it the way I did it. So therefore, it must be wrong, you know, but just because it's different doesn't mean, and they may be on a different path than you, but it doesn't mean that it's any less valuable or significant, Mm -hmm. you know, and so, okay, so you need to move when you learn. Well, I was a person who was super into books and writing. Well, you know, but you're the child and I'm the adult, so... You know, you you get to have a say here in how you learn best, and that's okay, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not going to just make you sit and do homework all night. You you want to get up. You want to play with me. You want to mm-hmm. go on a walk. You want to go throw a baseball. And maybe if you did that for 15 minutes, then they would be ready to sit down for a little bit. Yeah. You it's know? really hard for people to believe that, but I'm mm-hmm. telling you, in my 30 years, I've seen it work. So, right. yes, yeah. very, very true. Uh, I have a child who really likes to listen to music while she does things. I can't do that. It's too distracting mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. She's a musical <laughs> learner. She yeah. likes it. She learns that way best. She's learning when her body's moving to mm-hmm. music, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had parents tell me um, that their kids talk about that at home. Like one, mm-hmm. one dad said, she's studying her spelling words, and she's walking around the table, and I'm like, sit down, Julia, sit down. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, 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 this is the way I learn best, Dad. This is the way I need to study my spelling mm-hmm. words. And he's like, sure enough, she gets 100 on all her spelling tests. Right. <laughs> so right. if he made her sit down she might not learn them as easily right 
I, I was the type of kid, uh, my brother and I both were, we were homeschooled and, you know, it was uh, the Cindy Academy did not exist when we were growing up. Otherwise, we would have gotten here, right? But we, we were homeschooled. And so I, I remember walking into a college lecture class and going, all this information is in the book. Why am I here? And then, you know, you didn't, you, uh, for those huge, huge classes, you didn't get any credit for being there. So I was like, I'm the, I'm totally one of those language learners. Oh, yes, you and are. so I thought, okay, I'm going to sit and teach this to myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I can show up and get an A on this test, at, at, you know, but I'm not going to waste my time sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but, but I knew going into college, because my mom really recognized, I think, my strengths as a learner. Um, what, I, I knew what I could do. I knew how I learned best, you know. So um, I think that's a really important thing. I'm not saying, you know, that this is going to, that taking in any of this information is going to encourage your child to skip class. <laughs> but it, it was important. I ended up with a lot of A's. It, it was important that I knew what kind of learner I was when I, when I went to college, you know, and for the rest of time, mm-hmm. you know. I don't have trouble taking in information and, and, and expressing it, you know. Right. Um, and that's not because I'm a certain kind of learner. It's because I recognize that I'm that kind of learner and I think it's significant. I'm not shaming myself and trying to be something else. I'm just embracing what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. You're interpersonal, too, I think. You probably reflected a lot on, well, this this makes sense to me this way, so I'm going to yeah. do it that way. You, you know what you mm-hmm. like, and you do what you need to do for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then we, we mentioned earlier, you're the body kinesthetic as well. Mm-hmm. I think if you were forced not to dance or not to exercise, right, you would be right. miserable, yeah. and you wouldn't learn as much either. Right, so probably right. with the balance of those things, and I know the homeschooling, did yes. allow you to do oh, those yes. things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that and that was part of it. Was I was like, you know, I I could sit and read this and then take these notes and study for this in an hour. And instead, I'm spending, you know, an hour and a half in this lecture hall or whatever. I could save time and be dancing more or practicing or stretching or something like mm-hmm. that. So it was kind of an efficiency thing for me, too, as well. But I, I think it worked. I think it worked to my benefit. And I do hope that and that's one of the reasons why I believe in this school, and I think that I, I hope other kids can take that in. I think it does so much for your self-esteem and um, for in the future what you end up doing with your job and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. but how is this personal for you? I want you to share a little bit about why this is personal for you and tell us about the strengths that you saw in yourself that weren't being recognized by teachers. Okay, well, um, I went into special education because... I was an adult who had dyslexia as a child, still still have it, doesn't go away, but um, I did not enjoy school. I knew that I wanted to make kids feel good about going to school, so when I became an adult, I was like, I'm going to be a teacher, and, and for me to be want to be a teacher when I really didn't like school and like teachers, it was different, but I had a few people in my life, some tutors that really poured into me. Um, it made a big difference in my life, and I was like, I'm going to make kids feel good. So mm-hmm. I wanted to become a special education teacher so I could learn how to teach somebody with dyslexia or some mm-hmm. other type of learning disability, um, which led me to, to learn how to teach all kids because mm-hmm. we all learn in different ways, whether we have a disability or not. But mm-hmm. when you think about the fact that I said um, 
the the linguistical child the the classroom is set up for the linguistical child if you have a problem with language and you're in a classroom all day where you have to read or listen to language and a teacher lecturing and that's not your learning style let alone it's a disability you have you can't learn as well right so i'm sitting in this class and i'm trying to learn these things and back then they had film strips and movies that we could watch and then i would learn it again or um, in the in the 70s we did some little social groups and learning groups and I would learn that way. So I knew I was capable of learning. I knew I wasn't dumb, even though half the time I failed the test. And this was all, all before I was um, identified. But um, I knew I had, I had some smarts. It just wasn't coming out in that way. And it was so frustrating to me. Um, so, you know, that when, when I did hear the um, conference on MI and Gardner's theory, I, it really did speak to me because I thought, I know most of us teachers, we use language to teach. I mean, it just makes sense. But when you have a child who struggles with language, mm -hmm. try to figure out a different way to help them learn mm -hmm. the content. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a movie or a group or something like that. But mm -hmm. I did go to college. I um, did well in college because I could highlight my notes, go home, and do something else um, You know, with those notes and figure out how to learn them. I was a little bit kinesthetic. I had to move when I, when mm -hmm. I learned. I was also... Um, interpersonal. So mm -hmm. I love social groups. I went to any office hours I could get with my mm -hmm. teachers. So, you know, I just had to, I had to make do for the shortcomings that I had. Mm -hmm. um, and college let you do that. But, mm -hmm. you know, the traditional classrooms still, you know, in, in the lower grades aren't, aren't allowing kids mm -hmm. to learn in different ways. And I think that's a real, a real crime. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, it really sounds like you're frustration as a child has turned into a fantastic vision as an adult. You know? Well, I think so. And I think I wasn't afraid to fail when I started this school. I was like, mm -hmm. what do I have to lose? I, I failed every spelling test when I was a kid, you know. But um, it, yeah. I did not admit to people for a long time. I was embarrassed. I didn't want people to know that I had this going on because I thought they're, if they know, they're not going to think I'm smart. And right mm -hmm. now, I haven't fooled. They think I'm smart, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it, it took a lot of self-discovery to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But um, I think it has proven to be pretty successful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my pain was somebody else's gain in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really cool that you're sharing it because I think for any kid who has been labeled as, you know, having dyslexia or, or just been told, you know, or adult has been told, oh, you know, you're not as smart as this kid or been made to believe that there's some sort of hierarchy in intelligence, which there isn't, you know. There this is a sort traditional of, school, though. We still rank our kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, and, uh, but if they've been told that in traditional school, you're helping just level the playing field and ultimately making people feel less lonely and loosening that grip of loneliness mm -hmm. and shame that they might have. And um, especially since you're a person of influence and, and, and everything, talking about this, I think, does a tremendous... A work of encouraging others to sort of boost themselves and go, okay, and look at themselves and go, what what was my pain that could be somebody else's gain that mm -hmm. I've learned about and grown from, you know, that I'm kind of embarrassed to talk about. It's a little bit vulnerable, but if I did, it could really, really loosen that grip of loneliness and shame and pain for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, that takes a lot of courage, but it, it really is the thing that I think... Um, can be so influential to people that are struggling. And we see that we want to help. I think everyone who has a compassionate and empathetic heart sees that they want to help. And a lot of the time, it's 
it's your the very thing that you want to stay hidden the most, maybe, you know, that mm -hmm. you're like, oh, but that's the thing. Mm -hmm. That's the thing that's going to help, though, you know. Right. And so that's just kind of the weird way that this all works. But um, let's talk again about the classroom. Let's go back to the classroom. Give us some more examples. I shared one about the, um, this was um, Lauren's classroom. She's a teacher here at the Academy, fourth grade teacher, uh, about how that, this multiple intelligence theory has played out in her classroom, but give us some more examples about of how this is playing out at Sunday and what you see around. Well, I think just because we are so um, opposite of the traditional classrooms that are going on right now with no child left behind and all the standardized testing mm -hmm. and thinking that, um, you know, testing is the one and all be all to intelligences. If you mm -hmm. can take a good test, you're smart. Yeah. So it's not that we don't test our kids. We give one standardized test a year, and then we test them in different ways. So we are constantly assessing them. Mm -hmm. It's just that we're doing it in different ways. So our kids are growing up here without the, the level of anxiety that you see in other places because they're not being compared to each other that, and those kids only being compared to the test. Mm -hmm. I think that's the big difference. Um, we, we do hear about all these anxious kids. We hear about the suicide rate being so high. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're testing the kids and testing the kids and comparing them and comparing them. And it's just not fair to the kids that don't test well um, mm -hmm. to say, well, you're not smart and you're failed and you get a bad grade. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just so hurtful. So when you talked about loneliness, that's where my mind went there. So, um, But how it plays out here in the classrooms is really through the projects, through the thematic units, and teaching in a lot of different ways. Um, we, we do try to go outside a lot. We definitely believe in the arts, and, and uh, so they have music throughout the day. The, the arts and music and fitness, we, going outside for the natural learner. We do things in small groups, but we let kids have some alone time, too. Um, we write things on the board, we say them orally, we give them lots of different ways. There's there's not just one way of teaching here mm -hmm. and expecting everybody to get it. We mm -hmm. do it in a lot of different ways, even the same concept taught in a right. lot of different ways. And it's kind of killing two birds with one stone sometimes and whatever. Well, it's um, easier for, the, if, the, if you have to d teach a social studies concept, because it's one of our national standards, Common Core, and you can teach it in a lot of different ways and get it done quicker because everybody gets it and you can move on. It's it's easier. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we can cover a lot more this way because kids are getting it quicker because we're teaching it to the way that they learn best. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're retaining the information a lot more, mm -hmm. a lot better. And then they can take a good standardized test even without teaching to the test. Right. We've proved, right. We've proved that every year mm -hmm. that we've been in existence. We talked a little bit about this, but... Um, and, and you shared something on your Facebook that was a, an article kind of giving a little bit of some, some of the statistics, how sad it is today that you see this increase in ADHD and, and this increase in teen suicide and all of these things. Why is it harmful to ignore the multiple intelligences theory? I know it's a little bit about that, but can you share a little bit more about that? It's, it's harmful to ignore this because we have kids that are feeling so bad about themselves mm -hmm. for nine hours or, well, seven hours a day. Mm -hmm. Then they come home and they do homework that's drill and kill in the same way that it was taught in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And so our kids are growing up feeling unworthy, unvalued. Mm -hmm. um, and then they're, they're stressed, and we're mm -hmm. seeing that come out in a lot of different ways. Mm -hmm. So it's really their psyche that's, that's going to hurt from it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
we've we've talked a lot about multiple intelligences theory um, in other podcast episodes with our 21st century learning um, episodes, part one and part two. We had briefly mentioned it. This is a big aspect of 21st century learning. Um, I think it really fits into our concept of using project-based learning as well. Uh, often you will hit on these intelligences, kind of like we've mentioned with the project-based learning approach, which is kind of, we mentioned some examples of that. Also, it makes me think about the brain breaks too. And a lot of the time, Johnny needs a brain break before Susie does. And Susie wants to read more and wants some quiet time to go read more. And Johnny needs a brain break every 15 minutes. I mean, he just really does if he's going to retain anything, you know. And so I love that I, I wanted to mention, I see that at the academy a lot that it and you've said this before and i think that this multiple intelligence theory a great way to just kind of wrap up everything what this what this whole theory is about is that fairness is not treating every kid the same fairness is treating that particular child the way they need to be treated mm -hmm. in that moment moment by moment what do they need based on who they are and how you've gotten to know them and what you know about them mm -hmm. and their story and just who they are as an individual, all the things that make up who they are. And teaching to that need, not just keeping things general. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I've heard you say that multiple times. Do you have anything more to say about that? Or I do. I think that one word we keep saying throughout this podcast is a theory. It's mm -hmm. a theory. So, you know, people might want to dispute the theory mm -hmm. that it's not true. And even if it's not true, the neuroscience now is saying so many things that overlap with this theory mm -hmm. that we can't ignore, that kids right. need to, to move, that kids need um, sunshine and fresh air, mm -hmm. so that they need to get outside. So everything we do here, if it's not for multiple intelligence being a theory, it's for neuroscience because mm -hmm. it's supported now through neuroscience. So mm -hmm. um, if, if anything, look at the neuroscience that's telling you how people learn. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, FAIR is not giving everybody the same thing. It's giving everybody what they need. Mm -hmm. Yes, and, and just to give an example of a brain break, sorry, I used brain break as if everyone knows exactly what that means, but it, it might mean letting Johnny go outside yes. and kick a soccer ball for 15 minutes, and, and you will see that happen. You'll see, you know, three kids on the playground, supervised, but not not necessarily the whole classroom at one time. Sometimes you will see the whole classroom at one time. But and sometimes, sometimes if, you, if you feel like you can't get out for a break, break outside for the fresh air benefit, at least get up and stretch and do some crossing right. midline, some yoga. Mm -hmm. We do that a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, if we do have to take a standardized test, we'll do some yoga beforehand. Mm -hmm. It's it's just one of those things that's been, been mm -hmm. proven. And it's a really good thing for, that's a, that's a good tip for adults as well. I hear a lot of adults say, really, really the capacity for any human being, it's, it's hard to work on one project and sit and do that one thing for longer than an hour. You need to get up and move around. Mm -hmm. You're seeing that a lot of businesses. The, you'll right, see the stand-up right. desk, the bicycle mm -hmm, chairs, but mm -hmm. then you go into a traditional class and our kids are made to sit right. for all those hours. Yeah, how much more does an eight-year-old And they're giving up recess and cutting out music. And <laughs> right, right, yeah. All of those we, things. We are just going backwards yeah, in yeah, education. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's 
it's terrible. But I was thinking too, the, the theory of MI really applies, um, we're talking about the classroom, but it applies to the future for, ki yeah. for their jobs. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are working in collaborative gr groups these days mm -hmm. or on a team. When you're working on a team of people, there's professionals that are strong in a lot of different things mm -hmm. and they come together and make a good team. Right. I love that team is together, everybody achieves more. Mm -hmm. If you just had all the same learning style in one team, they might not be able to accomplish something Right, um, so right. you do need people that are good at a lot of different things. So mm -hmm. showing these kids why they're young, what they're good at, will help them in their careers later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for them to already have a little bit of a grasp on that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Good okay. stuff, Gina. Thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with us. And uh, we look forward to talking with you next time. Okay, thanks. Thanks for listening to Education Outside the Lines. Please rate and subscribe to this podcast if you are enjoying it. That helps us out a lot. You can email us with questions and comments at educationoutsidethelines at gmail.com. If you are interested in hearing more of what Gina has to say, she's on Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow her blog at heartofamustangblog.com to hear more about her unique philosophy, her personal story, and how she started the Sunday Academy.